Hey guys, Eric Lindine here. I'm the lead pastor of Mosaic Church in Maple Grove, Minnesota. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I hope this message inspires you, encourages you, and transforms you, and that this is just the beginning of a conversation between you and Jesus. Enjoy the message. There you go, there you go. Uh, thank you, Rachel. Thanks, everyone. Uh, I'm excited. Why don't you stand for the reading of God's Word? We have been in this series on Philippians. Uh, really, this is our third week uh, as we dive into Philippians chapter 2 now. And uh, let's read God's Word. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Let's pray. Jesus, you are here in the house of the Lord and so just make us aware of what your spirit wants to do in us and through us. And Jesus, I just pray that this morning we just could lay aside worries, fears, anxieties. That you would come in and you would change us and, and mold us and grow us into your image. Thank you. In your name we pray. Amen. I was so, so proud that literally, not quite literally, the buttons were bursting off my shirt. A few weeks ago, my son Joshua, and I've talked about this, was one of the leads in the musical Oliver, and he did a phenomenal job. Uh, it's my parents' theater company, Ethan, one of our uh, key leaders here at the church. They direct the show, and man, it was so, so good. Uh, if you ever get a chance to go on one of their shows, I highly encourage you to check them out, but one of the things I noticed was on stage in this amazing production that the actors weren't there for their own individual glory at each other's expense. See, if, if one single actor had tried to steal the limelight to try to do too much improv lines or to just make it all about them, the whole thing would have fallen apart. It only works because everyone was there working together for the same goal in mind, to create an impactful meaningful show to move the audiences, to let them have an experience. That's how the church should be too, amen? A troop of actors working together to share an impactful, meaningful message with the world, amen? That Jesus of Nazareth died, but then he rose again, proving that he is the rightful king of the world, and that now through his church, God is building his upside-down kingdom to spread the message of hope that is found only through Jesus. But we look around and we don't see a unified church always, right? We see worship wars, about people arguing about how we should worship, how loud should the band be, should we have the lights be up or down, we have clashes over leadership styles, church politics. I read a story about a church that split down in Dallas because one of the elders was sitting next to a young boy and he got served a piece of cake that was smaller than the young boy. 
and he caused a church split over this. How sad is that? And so how can we even begin to think it's possible to, to live in the way that Paul's talking about in this letter to Philippians? What do we do when our church experiences, maybe in our past, don't match up to this beautiful picture that Jesus had in mind when he inaugurated the church after his resurrection? Well, fortunately, we aren't alone in facing division and strife. In fact, all the early churches had major issues that were preventing them from being the unified church that God wanted them to be. The great German theologian Karl Barth, he said, there are no letters in the New Testament apart from the problems of the church. See, actually, the New Testament wasn't written to be a theological textbook for us to know all the answers about God. What it was was people like Paul writing letters to churches saying, you've got issues, now I'm going to write about those issues. And that's what we have in the New Testament. So it's good to know that, hey, we aren't alone in facing division and problems in, in churches around us today. This has been going on since the beginning. So if perhaps these early churches were facing the same issues that we are, well, we can look closely at this letter from Paul to get some clues on how we should obey today. Well, the first thing, if you're taking notes, I want you to write down is unity. Unity. That is Jesus' desire for us, that we would be unified in him. Here's what Paul writes. I'm going to go back here. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. That's in our series about joy. By being like-minded, having the same love, being one in the spirit and of one mind. Paul's asking the church he planted to make his joy complete. And how are they going to do that? By having unity. But unity by itself can't be the final aim. See, a group of robbers and thieves can be unified in their purpose to go rip someone off. Two people sneaking behind the backs of others to have an affair can be unified in their purpose, but that doesn't mean it's a good thing. No, what matters is that Christians, like the authors in Josh's musical, that were focused single-minded on the show, Christians should focus completely on the divine drama that has unfolded before our eyes as Jesus who died and rose as the king of the world and is now continuing its final act with ourselves as the characters in this ongoing drama that we are a part of. Jesus is the lead in this musical, and we get to be bit players, to step onto the stage, to join with him to present this drama to the world and then eventually we'll step off stage too as Jesus continues to be the star of the show. But we do have a part to play in this drama. But Paul doesn't imagine that being unified means everyone's just kind of mindless drones. This isn't Star Trek The Next Generation and the Borg. Like we're not just all, you know, mindlessly doing our thing. Instead, he sees the church as a group of individuals, despite their differences, who are willing to show their love for each other by putting the well-being of others first. This means speaking the truth in love. It means having the humility to admit when we have spoken or acted in an unkind way or willing to reconcile when there's some friction between us in our relationships. So what does unity look like in Paul's mind? Well, number one, it's the same love. We talk about this, our mission, why do we exist as a church? To help people love God. 
The first thing is having a love for our Savior Jesus, a love for God and a love for others. Jesus says that's the greatest commandment, to love God and to love others. The second thing he says is to have the same spirit. Here's how N.T. Wright, one of my favorite theologians, the former bishop of Durham, he writes it this way. As the spirit lives within Christians, directing and strengthening them, and as they see one another also being spirit carriers, they can hardly keep the sense that they should work together in a single direction. All this should produce the natural human emotions of affection and sympathy. If, with all this, you still don't want to work as living in unity with your fellow Christians, something is seriously wrong. When we look at one another, this isn't just mere flesh and blood or just your brother or sister that you see in Christ here. We are all spirit carriers together. We have the same spirit, the same love, and the same mind. This means, as a church, unified in our vision of where we're going. We like to say, hey, we are a church that wants to be a blessing to those around us. We want to bless our schools and our teachers and the police officers and firefighters and those around us. We want to help people then belong, even before they believe. Hey, you can come here and ask your questions. But then ultimately, we want people to find belief in Jesus because we believe that's the best way to live, not with shame and guilt, but putting our trust in Jesus. But then again, it doesn't end there. We'd be bringers of blessing and bringers of belonging, bringers of belief and hope and joy. That's our vision, our mission is to help people love God, to help people serve others, to help people make disciples, followers of Jesus. That's what it means to have the same mind. We are united in our vision, in our mission. We have the same love, the same spirit flows through us, unites us, lives within us. But how do we have that same love, that same spirit, that same mind, right? How do we be unified? Unity is found through humility. Unity is found through humility. Paul says it this way. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Here's how Paul writes it in another letter to a different church. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, he's also writing from prison. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, which I think is the kind of forgotten fruit of the Spirit, side note. This is one that we should really embrace during this pandemic. With patience, we're all on a journey, it's going to take time, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. How do we get unity? It's through humility. Humility is the pathway to unity. But do you know what keeps us from having the same mindset of Christ? Do you know what keeps us from maintaining that unity and the bond of peace? It's the thing that keeps you from initiating an apology when you know 
I'm only 10% wrong, and that person's 90% wrong. So you know what? I'm not going to initiate that apology because they're mostly wrong. It's the thing that keeps you arguing your point long after the fact you've realized you don't actually have a very good point. It's the thing that keeps you from admitting your weaknesses and your need for help. Well, I don't really have a drinking problem. I only look at porn every once in a while. It's, it's not, I'm not really that weak in this area. I can handle it on my own. It's the thing that keeps you from being honest with others and yourself. It's what causes you to power up when you should be opening up. And it causes you to need the final word. <laughs> what is that thing that gets in the way of our humility, that gets in the way of us having the mind of Christ? It's pride. I don't mean the pride of being proud of your kids like Joshua, doing an amazing job of being proud of, of, of the way God is, is working in your life. It, it's not the healthy kind of pride. It's not the pride that inspires people to greatness. We're talking about that nasty pride that each of us have inside of us. See, the problem with pride is that you can easily see it in other people, right? But it's almost impossible to see it in the mirror. Because I know when I talk about this subject, the majority of people in this room are like, well, I don't have a problem with pride. Not me. Now my spouse, maybe. Or that person. Because it's way easier to see it in other people. But it's very hard to see it in the mirror. See, pride diminishes your capacity to admit what you need to admit, to apologize what you need to apologize for, and diminishes your ability to acknowledge what you need to acknowledge. See, I think we've all had that strange emotional feeling when we realize, you know what? My tone of voice, my actions, my words, eh, they weren't right. And so then you go to that person and you struggle to say those three very hard words. I was wrong, right? That's pride. That feeling inside of us is like, I don't want to admit that I'm wrong. See, pride diminishes your capacity to hear what needs to be heard. Pride diminishes your capacity to give what needs to be given. Pride diminishes our ability to do what we need to do. But Jesus modeled a radical version of humility. And his example is applicable to you, whether or not you even believe in Jesus and follow him. Because it will mean giving the remote control of your life away from pride and to Jesus. And I, I get it, there's so many layers of emotions involved in this. But the emotions we feel can be a prison that pride puts us in. And Jesus' Jesus's humility has the ability to unlock that prison door and set us free to break that power of pride in our lives. I think one of the biggest ways that pride puts us is in prison is when it comes to conflict and reconciling with others who have hurt or offended us. Now, this might be the important, most important thing I say this morning, the way of Jesus. The most significant thing that Jesus did was that he initiated reconciliation. Paul writes elsewhere that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were in the depth of our sin and, and Jesus was 100% right and 100% wronged by us, Jesus didn't step back waiting for us to try to reach out to him. Instead, Jesus initiated the reconciliation. See, pride says wait. Jesus says initiate. Pride says 
you don't understand, Eric, what they said to me. So I'm just going to sit back and wait. I, I can't initiate some kind of reconciliation. I can't admit my part in the argument, whether that person's your spouse or your child or your parent or a friend, a person in your church. Pride says, I got to pray about it. Hear me as your pastor. There are things you don't have to pray about. There are things you don't have to pray about, okay? If Jesus has clearly commanded it, you don't have to pray about it. You don't have to pray about, should I open my home up and and show hospitality to others? You don't need to pray about that. You don't need to pray about, should I do life with others and be in communion with other Jesus followers? You don't need to pray about being generous with your time or your money. You don't need to pray about serving others. You don't need to pray about it. If you have an issue with someone, don't wait anymore. Initiate and reconcile. See, Jesus took the initiation to come down to earth and to die for us, even though he was guiltless and perfect. This is extraordinary, mind-bending, relationship-building humility. Regardless of what you believe and whether, wherever you are in your spiritual journey, you'll be better off following the example of Jesus and living this way. Your kids will be better off. Your parents will be better off. Your coworkers will be better, better off. You know why? Because you'll be more approachable and breaking through the layers of emotion that leaves us trapped in this prison of pride. Here's what, how Jesus modeled it for us. Paul says it this way. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ, as Christ Jesus what was Christ's mindset? Who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage, something to be grasped, something to be held onto for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, by adding humanity to his divinity, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everybody said amen. One of my favorite passages. Does that move you? Think of the mind-bending humility that that took. How far did Jesus go? He died on a cross for you and me, and all he's asking you to do is to offer an apology. All he's asking is to share with someone that, hey, you know what? Maybe you didn't mean to, but you hurt my feelings when you said that thing. To write that card thanking someone for the way that they spiritually impacted you. And your prize would keep, yeah, I, I, don't, I don't want to embarrass myself and humiliate myself by writing that card or just giving that compliment. Or maybe just learning that you need to stop talking in that meeting. (laughs) I know, the thought of initiating that apology gets your emotions all tangled up, but that's how pride controls us. It's in our emotions and we get hot and flustered and and we're not sure and your brain is trying to figure out a reason to not apologize and rationalize feelings of resentment of why you need to keep holding on to that perceived slight. I really went back and forth. There's a story I, I want to share, and I, I, even this morning, I'm like, I don't know if I should share this, but I'm going to, and I, I rarely ever do this, so give me grace. About two years back, one of our key leaders, I was in a meeting with her, and coming out of that meeting, we had a plan to move forward, and, and part of it was 
she was going to run with the planning, and she emailed one of our other key leaders in the church to help with some graphic design. Well, that person never got back to her. And this key leader thought that I must have told that graphic designer to not respond to her emails. I have no idea why she thought that. So do you know what she did for nine months? She prayed about it. You know what she did? She went on prayer walks with three other key leaders in our church. For nine months, they talked about this. How could Eric be so mean? Why would he tell Matt to not respond to her? Nine months later, as she told me they were leaving the church, and she finally confronted me on that, I said, I did not tell him. Matt's a busy guy. You should have sent a second email. And she said, oh, I had no idea. But after nine months of holding on to that hurt, nine months of sharing that hurt with three other ladies in the church, who then left the church as well, they all left the church over something that didn't happen. That one woman came down numerous times for prayer, trying to let go of this hurt, but you know what she never did? She never initiated a conversation until it was too late. This is real stuff, people. And the only reason I share this is because Paul writes about this kind of stuff in churches. This happens. Church, we need to be so, so careful when we ascribe motivations to people because we cannot see inside their head and hearts. So if someone does something that you think is out of character, and you're like, I took this as a way, I don't know how to think about this. Don't wait, initiate that conversation. So then you can have an understanding. Be like, hey, I don't know if you meant it this way, but here's how I receive this. Then the other person can be like, whoa, I had no idea. Joshua, my son, the sixth grader at Heritage Christian Academy, one of his teachers who's got decades of experience, he was having some issues with him. And he came home, and I said, all right, we're going to email the teacher today. 24 hours later, we were meeting with that teacher. And he was like, I am stunned. I had no idea. I'm so sorry that what I was communicating came across that way. I did not know that. And this man who taught my sister, older than me, older than Josh, looked at Joshua and said, thank you. In the future, can you let me know? If there's sometime I'm addressing the other middle school boys and I cross the line and I'm a little too harsh, just when we're done, just give me a little elbow. Let me know I crossed that line so that I can realize that. That's humility. That's the way of Jesus. Church, we should be having these kind of conversations all the time. Hey, you did this. You said this. I don't want to ascribe motivations to you. It kind of hurt me. So let's, let's have a conversation. Now, and all this, we always have to give the caveat, right? There's a big difference between abuse and hurt. And, and something happened in our relationship where our feelings were hurt, something was said, right? If it's a chronic, abusive situation, that's very different. That's where you need to go to the leaders in your church. Or if in any time you ever feel like, I'm being spiritually abusive, or any of our leaders are being spiritually abusive in any way, talk to the board. If that's not comfortable, talk to our denomination, like there are avenues you can go to. I am under authority. We are all under authority. And the last thing I ever want is, is you to feel that way. If there's a relationship or something outside of the church and, and you're feeling abused emotionally, physically, spiritually, in any way, that's something serious. If between you and a person in your small group and they made a joke and it hit you the wrong way, 
Don't just keep holding on to that. It's not going to go away. You have to initiate. Don't wait. And so what will be the result if we can embrace this kind of humility? Paul says, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. That's today, amen? Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. If we can embrace this kind of humility that will cause a unity that then will allow us to shine like stars in a dark world. Unity is found through Humility. And when we're unified, we're going to shine like a beacon of hope in the middle of a dark world. We're to be a beacon of hope that the world needs. When Jesus showed up to a world that was all about a religious pecking order, he showed up and he redefined greatness as how we serve others. And so as we serve others, as we shine like stars, here's what it looks like. I'm going to hit these real quick. What I want you to know is that once you place your faith in Christ Jesus, you are good with God and God is good with you. See, religion and the old temple model was about trying to make God and you right. But through Jesus, you are made right with God. You no longer have to worry, does God love me? Does God like me? Am I, am, have I been sanctified and justified? You have been. So now the way of Jesus is centered on the you beside you. If you're a Republican, it's the you that's to the left of you. If you're a Democrat, it's the you that's to the right of you. How well do we serve and love others as we are unified and living in humility? Following Jesus is an invitation to leave behind a religion that's centered on you. Is, it, am, is God good with me? And it's all about me, and it's all about me. Am I going deeper? Am I, am I going, you know, it just, it's just about us? That's centered on the, the model that it's on the you beside you. Jesus is like, hey, we're good. Go serve the world. Go, go be a light. Go introduce people to me. You don't have to worry about your relationship with God. It's good. I preached a similar message to this a couple years back. And there's a couple in our church that were only obsessed with the vertical relationship. And I knew once I preached this message, they gone. And guess what? They left to go start their own hyper-charismatic ministry. If this is what you feel and it's, you're just obsessed about your relationship with God, hey, that's fine. There are plenty of hyper-charismatic churches you can go to, but you know what? You're good with God. You don't have to worry about going any, quote-unquote, deeper. Start loving and serving people around you. Amen? See, the Jesus model is less complicated. You don't have to offer sacrifices. You don't have to pray these certain prayers. It's far more demanding. Now, hear me. We want to grow more into likeness of Jesus. We want to pray. We want to read our Bibles. There's things we want to do because we love Jesus, but we don't do that because we want to earn anything from him. We're good. We operate out of, out of that security. That, that Man, there's nothing that will separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. But it's far more demanding to say, what does love require of me? It requires me to consider others more than I consider myself. Can you imagine what our families would look like if we asked that question? What does love require of me? What does it look like to have the mindset of Christ to live in humility? If every Christian we pause and ask that question. Imagine a world that was critical of our beliefs, but we're envious of how we loved one another and how we love those outside of our church. 
My goal is that people will drive by the signs of Mosaic and say, I don't, I don't agree with what they believe, but man, I'm glad they're here in this city because they love well. Amen? And that is why Christianity survived the first 300 years. That's what we've been called to do, and I believe it can happen again if we follow Jesus' example with that kind of humility, then we will find a supernatural unity and we will shine in a dark world around us. So here's the question I want us to ask this morning as we wrap up. How does pride manifest itself in me? Because it's so hard to see in the mirror. It's so much easier to see someone else. I'll tell you how it manifests in me personally. When someone doesn't understand why I do something, when someone ascribes motivations to me and start giving me the worst possible motives, I get hot and flustered and I, and I have to defend myself and, and I want to set the facts straight. And there are times, like I said, initiate that reconciliation, there are times just let it go and be like, you know what, more information is not going to change that person's opinion. I have to have the mindset of Christ. I have to be a servant. I have to love well. How does pride manifest in you? Pride can masquerade in many different ways. It can sound like sarcasm. You're joking with someone, but there's truth behind that sarcastic comment. I firmly believe there's always an element of truth when people are being sarcastic. Are you the, you think you're the only one that knows the right way to do this? Hey, that's not the right way to set up those tables out there. That's not the right way to set up kids' church. That's not the right way to serve others. Are you more concerned about process and procedures than in loving and serving people? It can be the feeling that I deserve nice things in my life. Or you know what? I deserve to have people always reaching out to me. I, I, you know, they don't know how hard it is. I'm never going to initiate you know, reaching out to someone in my community group. I want them to always reach out to me. How does pride manifest in you? It can look so many different ways. If you don't know the answer to this question, I guarantee you there is someone probably sitting close to you who does know the answer. And you can ask them. Hey, Kristen, how does pride manifest itself in me? Hey, Joshua. It's a dangerous question, but that's how we can find that out. But through Jesus, you can break free from that prison of pride. Don't wait. Initiate that apology. Don't think, hey, I can't have the humility to admit my drinking problem. Go to a community group. Go to someone you trust and say, hey, I have a problem with porn. Hey, I have a problem with this addiction. I'm drinking too much. Hey, I have a problem with my anger. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you embrace the way of Jesus and breaking free of the prison that pride can hold us in? Even if you're not sure about Jesus, why would you not embrace this radical approach to humility that has the power to set you free? I want the band to come up and we're going to close in prayer. Thank you so much for joining us on the Mosaic Maple Grove podcast. I want to encourage you to take the message you just received and allow it to go deeply into your soul. Let Jesus do the deep work that only he can do. A special thank you to everyone who gives to Mosaic Maple Grove. Your generosity allows this message to go out into the world. You can be a part of the Mosaic tribe by going to mymosaicchurch.com. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Thanks again for listening. Grace and peace, my friends.